You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Now is the director for the Salt Network. And so what Troy is doing is he's traveling around to different, different churches and different places and seeing how we can see more churches being planted on more college campuses so that more people can hear the gospel. So we're excited for Troy to be here and share with us. I'm going to go ahead and pray over Troy. As Troy, you come up, I'm just going to pray over you. God, we praise you for Troy. I praise you for his heart and just the, the vision that you've placed within him, God. And I, I, I praise you for an opportunity that we can sit under his teaching and just learn from him this morning. And God, I pray that you would give him the right words to say and give us the, hear, the ears to hear and the heart to understand. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. So you guys are going through the book of Ephesians, so we're going to look at that this morning. We're in chapter 5, is my understanding, and if that's not right, well, <laughs> that's what we're going to look at anyway. So, But I want to tell you a little bit about what you're a part of, as Luke has mentioned. Um, my wife and I came to Iowa State University back in 1985 to work with a Christian student ministry called Baptist Student Union. Um, which uh, is a denominational student ministry, and now they're called uh, Baptist Campus Ministries. But I was at Iowa State University, and what I realized pretty quickly is that not very many students wanted to be Baptist, and they certainly didn't want to be part of the Baptist Student Union. Nobody actually knew what that was. And so the first year that I was able to be the leader of the organization, which was 1986, I immediately changed the name to the Salt Company and almost lost my job because the church that was sponsoring the Salt Company was pretty committed to Baptist. And uh, that was, uh, seemed weird to me. Um, I, I thought Matthew 5.13 was a good idea. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. And students didn't mind being a part of the Salt Company. In fact, they like to say it like the Assault Company. Uh, it seemed like a fighting group to them. And God blessed the student ministry and by the time 1994 um, rolled around, the student ministry had outgrown the local church, and there was tension in the church between those who were traditionally doing the church thing and those of us who were wanting to reach the next generation. So I said to my dad, who was the pastor of the church, what if we started a church that was intentionally planted to reach the next generation, primarily thinking about college students? And he said that was a great idea, and... Uh, so we did that in 1994. That was Cornerstone Church of Ames. And over the next series of years, uh, the Salt Company continued to grow and Cornerstone continued to grow and it became the largest church-based student ministry in the nation. And we had no idea that that was happening. We were just trying to reach students at Iowa State University. And um, in 2010... Uh, we had planted some other churches in Iowa, but in 2010, my daughter did a horrible thing. Um, she did not receive a scholarship to play basketball for Iowa State University. Instead, she received a scholarship to play for Iowa University, and we were hawk haters. Uh, you know, you're a cyclone, you certainly can't be a Hawkeye, and you have to hate those people. They're godless. They're all going to hell. And so... Uh, yet they were going to pay for her to go to school, and I didn't want to pay for her to go to school, so it seemed like a good idea. Um, and there was another couple in our church whose son had received a scholarship to play football at the University of Iowa, and so he wanted to be on a winning football team, so he decided to do that as well. And we were over there checking out the good churches in the city. And I remember uh, on one Sunday morning attending the second best church because we went to the two good churches, and I'm sitting there with my family, 
and I begin to be overwhelmed by emotion, and I begin to just weep and sob. And I'm sure the pastor thought, man, that guy's really under conviction. I'm doing a great job. And, uh, uh, but it, it wasn't. I, I was under conviction that we needed to plant a church like Cornerstone Church and a student ministry like Salt Company at Iowa University. And uh, later that year, we sent our very best leader, Mark Arendt, um, who was a Salt Company director, to be the lead pastor at Veritas Church in Iowa City. And now Veritas Church is a church of about 700 and a student ministry of about 600 at Iowa University. In 2013, um, we sent a young man uh, to go plant a salt company at University of Northern Iowa. His name was Stan Hayek. And he actually was able to do that within a year. They had about 80 students that were gathering in salt company at UNI. And we said, we can't have a parachurch ministry at UNI. So we sent one of our best Bible teachers in Paul Sabino to go join Stan and they started Candeo Church in 2013 and that church now is doing really well. They have about 800 uh, and sometimes they've had over a thousand on Sunday morning. They have about five to six hundred in the salt company there and so it's thriving and it was that church Candeo that said, oh wow, we should do that again and so Stan came to Missouri uh, to plant uh, Salt Company and Anthem Church. Anthem used to be the name of our uh, music ministry within the church. He thought that was a cool name. I thought it was a cool name for a church as well. But now we have on our radar 81 targets um, in the Midwest, and we want to plan at all the major universities in the Midwest. And so uh, in 2017, we're going to plant this target. I got a picture for you. Fall 2017, we're going to plant. Uh, Salt City Church, is it coming up? Can you see a picture? Uh, I can't see it. I'll describe it to you. Uh, you can see where that is. Anybody see where that is? Uh, University of Min- Minnesota in Minneapolis. And we're actually on a building uh, where uh, they party on top of that building during the football games because you can look right down on the field and watch the game from that vantage point. It's right in the center of campus. And when we announced that we were going to plant University of Minnesota, there was an architect who worked for an architectural firm in Minnesota that is that building that we're on the roof of. It's called Station 19. And their architecture firm specializes in working with churches. They have for almost 30 years, they've worked with 650 churches, getting them space that they redo for church plants. And he said, wow, if you guys are coming to Minneapolis, that's our hub, and we do the five-state region, why don't you visit with us? We'll see if we can help you out. So we thought, okay, I mean... Random that you came to Cornerstone when we're announcing we're going to plant in your backyard and you're excited about that and that's what you do. And so we'd visited with them and in fact they have a Salt Company alumni on their staff. So she shared with them everything that we're doing. We met with them for about two and a half hours uh, two weeks ago and they said, the next day I get an email in my inbox and it's from the president of Station 19 and she said three things. She said, first of all, we loved you guys, and we're so excited about you guys planting University of Minnesota. Is the picture still up there? Okay, so, so the lead pastor is going to be this guy, uh, Drew Stevenson, who is assault, was assault director at Iowa, is now a teaching pastor at Veritas, Iowa City. Um, this is the associate assault director, Jordan Adams, at Salt Company. He's going to be the Salt Company director. And this guy is a worship leader at Veritas, Iowa City. He's going to be the worship leader. This is a guy who's been an elder at Cornerstone from the beginning. That's 
of course, me. And then this stud right here is going to go plant uh, University of Wisconsin in 2018. But anyway, so we're standing there, and they loved us. And, and she reads, sends me an email, and point number one was, hey, when you guys come here, uh, we would like to offer our building to you guys to office in until you get space free of charge. And so we thought, that's good, right? Uh, point number two, she said, yeah, and we... We really loved you guys and want to help you and want to do everything we can to help you find a space and a facility. And so we're willing to offer someone from our staff team to help you look at different facilities and the feasibility of converting those facilities into worship space. And we're going to also do that free of charge. And uh, yeah, it's not a bad email so far. Um, and point number three, she said, and we believe this is a God thing and we feel so moved by God and so inspired with the vision that you guys have to plant churches in all the states that we're working that we want to participate with you guys and wonder if you would consider building on our property your worship facility. I thought, hmm. Right in front of the football stadium, right in central campus, and they have already done a feasibility study and they believe they can put a thousand seat auditorium right on that property, right in that place. I said, will I consider that? Hmm. <laughs> I think so. And guys, that's the kind of thing that God seems to be doing over and over again as we're responding to his leadership to reach the next generation and to plant churches like this one that will reach students again and again and again and again. Um, and I could tell you story after story, but we actually have to uh, teach the Bible uh, a little bit. But I want to challenge you to one thing. You're going to receive for your salt company some 1002 shirts. And it actually just says 1002 on the chest, and it says one request 1002. And uh, it's because Jesus asked us to pray for one thing. And if Jesus only gave us one request, in all of his life and ministry that we should pray about. Wouldn't you agree that that's something we should do? If Jesus said, hey guys, would you pray for one thing? Would you say, no, I really don't want to do that. Um, so we decided well, we should do that. And here's what he said in Luke 10 too. That's why we have 10 2. And we want everybody to set their alarms either in the morning or in the evening or both. If you want to be a radical prayer, and I know Matt is, he'll probably send it for 10 2 and every other 10 2 thing he can think of. So uh, to pray, and Jesus said this, look to the fields, they're wide unto harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. And so um, we'll give those shirts to your ministry and then you can sell them and, and uh, anybody who will be committed to praying, we want them, we want them to do that, 1002. It's also in Luke, or in uh, Matthew 9, 37 and 38, but that doesn't make as cool of a t-shirt, you know, 9, 37, 8, uh, so it's also in John chapter four, but we just went with 1002. So go with it with us, okay? You, you want to buy a shirt. Look at Ephesians chapter five. This morning, we're gonna be looking at most of the chapter and already, I believe, Stan, you guys covered the first five verses. Is that correct? Okay, well, we're gonna do it again um, because I don't know how to teach the uh, next few verses without pulling into the first five because what I've always discovered about the Bible is that anytime you're taking something out of the context and not looking at the whole context, you're really going to mess that up. And so hopefully you've been tracking along. And I want to bring us back to verse uh, one of chapter five, because I think that's a good beginning point for us today. It says, therefore, 
Be imitators of God as God's beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is improper for among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Hmm. You guys got to there. Was that fun? Uh... Yeah, you think you're all going to hell? Uh, that's what I would take from that almost. So, uh, verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And therefore, do not become t- partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness. But now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true and Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that do not that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And that's just a fancy word for dumbness. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always For everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord Jesus, please help us to understand this text so rich, and we're going to dig into it. And I hope that you will help us to harvest those things that would draw us to you, that would convict us of sin, and that we'd leave this place today saying, wow, I believe God spoke to me. God was here. We ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be imitators of God. Uh, You know, they say about imitation that it is the highest form of compliment, right? You ever see the kids dabbing around? Who started the dab? I don't know, but my kids do it all of the time. And it was not a thing. And now it is the thing. I mean, you just dab everybody. Dab your dad, right? And I remember my mom used to tell a story about how I wanted to imitate my dad, and I always wanted to imitate him in the very worst ways. For example, when I was a three-year-old riding around the car, she tells the story. I don't actually remember. I rolled down the window, and I cleared my throat like a grown man, and I lobbed a loogie out into the street. And my mom, in just disdain of what I just did, she said, what in the world are you doing? And then she always added, for heaven's sake, right? You know, and I was never doing anything for heaven's sake. And so I just looked back at my mom and I said, it's what my dad does. Because I just wanted to be like him. 
And I didn't need to clear my throat, and I certainly didn't need to spit out the window, but when mom wasn't around, that's what he did, and I wanted to be just like him. Uh, My wife and I have five biological kids, and 10 years ago, we adopted two more. We have Malachi and Trey, and it is amazing how quickly time goes by. But I remember when Trey was just a little dude, he wanted to be like me. And I like hot sauce. And I'm getting to be old. And you know, the older you get, the worse your taste buds are. So the more you need to add that. And we were having pulled pork sandwiches. And the only way for me to eat pulled pork sandwiches is to take Tabasco sauce and to load it up, right? Well, my son, who was at the most four, took the Tabasco sauce, imitating his father, And by this time, he's my seventh child, so I want to observe what's about to happen, right? (laughs) So he slaps the top on that, takes a big old bite, and within milliseconds, the tears begin to come. I know I'm a bad father. I'm a bad father, but it's number seven. Give me some grace. And he looked at me like, I just want to be... Like you, you know? So I fixed his sandwich. And one of the joys of my life was recently I was in conversation with Trey. He's 11 now. And uh, I said to Trey, I said, Trey, I said, when you get to be a man, do you want to be a church planter in the network? I said, actually, what do you want to be when you grow up? A church planter in the network? Because I wanted to fill that in for him, right? I wanted to inspire him with what would be inspirable. And he said, well... Yeah, I thought, good. But then he said, when I retire. And I thought, oh, man, that's not good. Because he thinks it's for old people, apparently. But then I thought, no, he's 11. Ask a question. Remember, it's my seventh child, so I'm not messing it up totally. So I said, retire from what? And he said, the NBA. And my immediate thought was great because you'd be done with that by the time you're 30 and that's the perfect age for a church planter, right? (laughs) I didn't go on and say to him, there's never been an Ethiopian who's ever played in the NBA. You know, you don't have a prayer, right? Try long distance running. No, I didn't didn't say that. I thought it. (laughs) Did not say it. I hope he makes it in the NBA, right? Probably won't. But I hope that he wants to be a church planner in the network. And I hope that he has models to follow. But think about this. Paul, writing this letter, says to believers in the church, oh, here's somebody to imitate, God. That's hard. You as a fallen, broken, sinful human, here's an idea I want to throw across the table. Actually, I'm going to say it in a forceful way with the expectation that you actually will do it. I'm not talking about your dad. I'm not talking about someone who does a dumb dance move like the dab. I'm saying God himself. Imitate him. Right? In light of 
all that has happened, God has loved you and chosen you and poured out his life on you and I'm praying for you that you would be imitators of God because you are loved by him. I love what John writes in 1 John when he says, how crazy is this? In fact, the the translators of 1 John only put one exclamation point in all of the book of 1 John, and it's after this verse that it says, how crazy is this that God has lavished his love on us that we should be called children of God. And then Paul gives us three things that I want us to think about today. How to imitate God as beloved children. Verse two, walk in love. Verse eight, walk in light. Verse 15, walk in wisdom. So let's talk about those just a little bit. Um, Verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us, and he gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You guys, uh, you like love stories. Um, I, uh, I like them. So I had a church planner in this weekend, and he's 32 years old, and his wife is 25. Can you believe that? And I said, well, tell me your story, thinking, you cradle robber. And so she's been a believer for just a little over a year. So I was thinking, wow, what'd you do? Lead her to Christ, you missionary dater. And in fact, she became a Christian while he was preaching, <laughs> you know? So advantage to the guy, right? So uh, he's telling me the story and, and she became a Christian and, and he saw her and he said, Lord, she's so beautiful. She must surely be elect. And so um, anyway, he got her in his uh, connection group. They have a little different and he was trying to keep his distance because he was a pastor and he wanted to do everything right. And God was doing some pretty cool work in her life. And his friends were saying, do you love her? Do you love her? And he was saying, man, no, no, don't, no, don't rush it. Don't rush it. Right. He's 32 years old. He should figure it out by now. And so they're on this date. And he said, I was just overwhelmed. My heart was just racing. And I knew that I loved her. And so he departed. And then he kind of went back to the car and he knocked on the window and she rolled down the window and she had her hands on the steering wheel and he said, I just, I have to say, I'm in love with you. And he thought it was going to be this great dramatic moment, right? And she kept her hands on the steering wheel and didn't even look up at him. She said, that's nice, <laughs> right? <laughs> so drove away, left him in this pile of what have I done? I'm a jerk. So he went to his apartment and he said he literally went into depression because he was expressing love and it wasn't reciprocated. And it was only a few minutes in his apartment that he heard this tap on the door. And she was so blown away that he said she, she needed some time to process. And she came back and she just said, I, I'm in love with you too, you know? And they had a little happy, happy moment then, right? And you know what it's like when people are in love. They just are always doing things that make you feel a little awkward. They've been married seven months. 
he was in my house a couple months ago and he had to excuse himself because he had to make that phone call, right? And then when he got done making that phone call, you could tell he was still on it and distracted from the phone call. And this girl who is now his wife has become kind of the orienting center of his love life. And he has become kind of the orienting center of her love life. And you can tell when you get around them that they're deeply in love with one another and it just makes you want to have what they have. And so when Paul is saying, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ and walk in love, what he's saying is be so in love with this God who has lavished his love on you. Understand what he has done for you while you were still sinning. He died for you. He chose you. He elected you. In his great mercy, he's poured out his love for you. Why in the world would you want to pursue any of the filth that this world has to offer when God loves you so much? And he's prepared to give you everything you need for life and godliness. And he wants you to have a walk with him that looks like a walk of love. You know, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and they weren't good lovers, by the way. A lawyer came up to Jesus and thought, well, I know how to trick God. I've got a good question. So he said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus got the answer easy. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And he said there's a second one that's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is Jesus saying? What do you have more than your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength? Todd, You don't have anything else. Everything that you are. And what do we do with our love for God? Don't we kind of relegate it to that window of spiritual opportunity? And we don't really know him. We don't know about him. We don't know anything about him. And sometimes even our approach to knowing him and loving him is reading a few Bible verses that becomes quite distance. And we as Christians who are in love with God, you know, we become weird. But this God who's poured out his love on us is calling us to look at the things in the text. Great speech. Gratitude. Purity. I have four daughters. Three of my four daughters were virgins when they got married. And I'm sharing this with one of my friends because it's one of my favorite stories. I wish it would have been 4-4. One of my daughters wished it would have been 4-4 too. But, but uh, we're, in a, we're in a restaurant. He played football for Iowa State. And he's uh, kind of a, one of those kind of guys. You know, guys that play D1 football, they're just, you know what I'm talking about? One of those kind of guys. Um, always ready to beat you up, you think. But uh, So I, I told him that. And he said, right there, right there, right there. That's... Stand up. And I went. Okay, all you said is right there, right there, and stand up. I'm going to get beat up in this restaurant, you know. 
And so I stood up. He said, get out here. So I said, yes, sir. You know, and so I kind of stood out of the booth and he just gives me a man hug. And he said, right there. That makes you a man I want to follow. And I said, don't follow me. My daughters weren't married as virgins because of me. It's because they loved God and believed that he loved them. And so they kept themselves pure because of their trust in God. Your your dad will tell you later what a virgin is. (laughs) He'll draw you a picture. So... Yeah. So we got to get to the other points. Uh, Verse 8. Walk in love. Love is very compelling. And uh, the opposite is law. Get away from that. Walk as children of the light. Now, if you look at what it says there, um, it says, For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love that. I, I, I actually love that. Because I believe probably most of you here, I'm, I'm not here to share the gospel with you the first time so that you can fall in love with Jesus. I think most of you would say, but I don't want to love God. I want to have that kind of relationship with God that that relationship controls all of the other relationships that I have. And so Paul is understanding that, and so he's saying to these people, well, here's the way that you get that. You have to stop lying about your sin. Didn't John also write, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness? And as long as you hold your sin in the darkness, didn't Jesus say in Luke chapter 12, what is covered up in the private place will be pronounced on the rooftops. There is nothing hidden that won't be revealed. And when light comes into the world, it reveals all of the darkness. And here's the reality about Jesus. When you get around him, when you fall in love with him, what you recognize is you and him are real different. And the things that are very natural for you, immorality or foolish talk or coarse jousting, those things that he said get rid of, they're actually your nature because your nature is to sin and his nature is to avoid it, right? If you don't believe that people are basically bad, here's the truth. You've never had kids. Ask any parent. We don't train our kids to be bad. They do that naturally. We train them to be good. And so what he's saying here, walk in the light. What does that mean? Guys, you can't pretend that you're something that you're not. You have to deal authentically with what is true about you. And you have to let the light of the gospel expose the sin of your heart so that it can be revealed. Because once it comes to the light, look what it says. You can deal with it. And try to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord. And the darkness that you hold in your soul will keep you from living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. For example, when I was dating, I never had a pure dating relationship until I fell in love with God. And when you're in love with God, you want to be faithful to him. And he wants you to be pure. And so I started dating this girl, and I'm in love with Jesus. And we're talking about Jesus and stuff. And she started falling in love with me and started wanting to take our relationship immoral. And so she... First time ever in my life, made a move on me. 
I was always that guy, right? So here we go. And I'm thinking, are you serious? I said, no. She said, what? Are you serious? And I said, yeah, we're not going to do that. And she said, so what you're saying is that this relationship is not going to be physical? And I said, yes, that's what I'm saying. It's not going to be physical. The next woman that I'm physical with is going to be my wife. And she said, then this relationship is over. And I said, are you kidding? You are breaking up with me because I won't let this relationship be physical. And she said, yes. And I said, sweet. And I let her get out of my car. I remember driving home to my parents' house and going in and getting them out of bed to announce to them that I had just got broken up with because I was choosing to do the right thing. Do you know what making right choices does to your relationships? Think about if you had nothing to hide, how that would change the way you walk. We think, well, people are going to judge us because of our sins. Yeah. And if you don't bring those things into the light, they will continue to cripple you for the rest of your life. A life without secrets is an authentic life before God that says I'm a broken person who still struggles with sin. And yet, Jesus is okay with that as long as I'm struggling in the light. Proverbs says, a fool stumbles in the dark and he doesn't even know what trips him. But a righteous man's life is like the light of dawn. It grows ever increasing brighter with every passing moment. What does it mean to walk in a light? Walk in confessing Sin that is pleasing to the Lord, trying to discover, don't take any part in the unfruitful works of darkness. They're shameful. Don't even talk about them. Just distance yourself from them. And then verse 15, so we're walking in love and walking in the light, and then I like this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Um, here's what I say about wisdom uh, you, don't, you don't have any experience until you've done something right Stan I mean, it, and you don't have any skill until you've done something a lot you know people that are skilled at something they actually have done something a lot they have experience and they develop skill and you really don't have any wisdom until you know how to do what God wants you to do almost without even thinking about it. That's what it means. Don't walk like a fool. Walk like a wise man. I love Hebrews chapter six. It says, solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So let me slow down there. I went too fast. You didn't get it. Solid food, in other words, people who are able to handle the mature things of God is for the mature who, because of practice, experience and skill, learn how to discern the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. 
I'll use an illustration of potty training because I think it works well. Um, when you have a child, I've got three babies coming right now. It'll be my fifth, sixth, and seventh grandchildren. They're all due right now. Maybe today I'll have the first one. And so we'll, we'll see. But when those babies are born, they put diapers on them because they pooped their pants. And nobody gets upset with them. Well, grandpas, you know, it's like, come on. But you don't just say, I'm giving you a spanking smear that, right? So uh, it's, it's what babies do. But moms, if your kid's two and they're still doing that, you need to get to work on potty training. And I remember all my kids were two. We said, you need to go poo-poo? And they would go, I don't know. I haven't thought. I mean, I don't think that way. And, and so then you would, when they went, they'd go, oh, you poo-poo, it was bad. And then they wake up from a nap, you need to go poo-poo. And they come in from the house, you need to go poo-poo. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to train them to think about something that they're not thinking about. Because you know if they're pooping their pants in elementary school, it's going to be really bad for the kid and really bad reflection on you, Right? Now, most of us in this room, your mom didn't call you today and say, hey, Luke, you need to go poo-poo. And how long has it been, Luke, since you pooped your pants? Right? And it's a funny story, and I tell it because you'll remember it, but isn't that the way that it is with so many of us? Because we haven't learned to make the most of our days And we keep giving ourselves to things that are empty and vain and don't matter. And isn't the Holy Spirit crying out to us saying, stop. You have one life. James says, life is a vapor. It appears for a little while and it's gone. Jesus said this. There was a guy who was in a multitude of people when I was talking about some pretty significant things. And he said, can you get my brother to share the inheritance with me? Interrupted me. And here's what I said to him. You're a fool. Because you're the kind of guy who's going to tear down your barns and build bigger ones because you're storing up for yourselves treasures on this earth. And a fool is anyone who immenses for themselves treasures on earth and is not rich toward God. And if we're walking likewise, what we're going to see is we're going to be filled with the Spirit and we're going to dress one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our heart toward God, giving thanks always for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another. Because let me tell you something, guys. You cannot walk with God apart from the local church. I am faithful to my wife more because of my relationship with my wife than my relationship with God. And I've been faithful to the things of God more because of the relationships with others that I've chosen to partner with in ministry than I am faithful to God. We were not made to walk this journey with God alone because he is different than us. 
So we need to be in a context, the local church, with men and women who are challenging us, who are stimulating us, that we submit to, to one another, who are speaking the truth to us in love, who are also trying to walk in love, who are also trying to walk in the light, who are also trying to walk in wisdom and growing in those regards. And next week, you'll get into relationships, husbands, wives, moms, dads, employees, employers, learning to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. So there's a quick overview of Ephesians 5. I hope you get it. Imitate God, which you'll be bad at, but you can get better at. If you walk in love, by giving and serving and sacrificing, if you walk in the light, by being honest and integritous about the reality of who you are and what you're doing and what you're doing when you're all alone especially, and then walking in wisdom, learning and training to be obedient to God until you naturally do what's right rather than naturally do what's wrong. And you do that in the context of one another. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be an anthem church. Thank you that your spirit is alive and well in Anthem Church, and I love the things that are happening here. I love the fruit of the gospel that is being born in this context. And I pray for the men and women in this church that are committed to this church, giving themselves fully for the expression of the gospel at University of Missouri in Columbia. Would you bless them and encourage them and expand their borders? We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.